Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. And if you believe in the Songcraft mission, please consider supporting us by visiting patreon.com slash songcraftshow. When we first spoke with Natalie Hemby in 2017, she'd already racked up three CMA Song of the Year nominations and written a half dozen number one singles, including Pontoon and Tornado by Little Big Town, Downtown by Lady A, You Look Like I Need a Drink by Justin Moore, and Miranda Lambert's White Liar and Automatic, the latter of which was named ACM Song of the Year and snagged Natalie her first Grammy nomination for Best Country Song. In the five years since then, her songwriting star has continued to rise. She co-wrote three songs on Casey Musgrave's Golden Hour, which won the Grammy for Album of the Year across all categories, and earned Natalie a CMA Song of the Year nomination for Rainbow. Natalie co-wrote two songs with Lady Gaga for the soundtrack to A Star Is Born, including Song of the Year Grammy nominee Always Remember Us This Way and the Grammy winner for Best Song Written for Visual Media I'll Never Love Again. She has scored additional number one hits with John Party's Heartache Medication, as well as Miranda Lambert's Bluebird, which was nominated for both CMA and ACM Song of the Year and the Best Country Song Grammy. Natalie beat herself in that Grammy category when she won the Best Country Song honors for Crowded Table, which she wrote with Laurie McKenna and Brandy Carlisle. The song was recorded by the supergroup The High Women, of which Natalie is a member alongside Carlisle, Marin Morris, and Amanda Shires. Crowded Table was also named Song of the Year by the Americana Music Association, while The High Women won Americana Album of the Year and Duo or Group of the Year. Recent pop cuts, including Kelly Clarkson's I Dare You and Ed Sheeran's Love in Slow Motion, illustrate Natalie's versatility and underscore why she was named Music Row Magazine's 2021 Female Songwriter of the Year. In addition to her work with the High Women, Natalie's been flexing her considerable artist muscles recently with the release of her album Pins and Needles, which Pop Matters calls a phenomenal album from an artist coming into full possession of her gifts. Part 1 This episode of Songcraft is brought to you by our friends at Pearl Snap Studios. I gotta tell you, Paul, I know that we have partnered with Pearl Snap for a long time. I'm gonna confess, I actually am not completely sure who Pearl is, but I am a big fan of napping, and I would love <laughs> to find out more about this napping studio. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say to you, because I don't know who Pearl is either, but I believe it's Pearl Snap, oh, as in two words, and the I've, S is on the second I've one. I totally misunderstood um, this whole time. But... What Pearl Snap is is the place that you, the songwriter, can go with your song that you've just completed and get a high-quality, pitchable demo. I mean, the songs actually sound radio-ready by the time they're through with them. And if you go to pearlsnapstudios.com, you can get more information. It doesn't matter what kind of genre you write in. They can make a demo for you that sounds fantastic. And if you tell them that Songcraft sent you, you are actually going to get a discount on your first demo. So go check out Justin, our friend, and his team at pearlsnapstudios.com.
Well, Paul, in some ways, this episode is kind of about old friends. You know, Natalie Hemby is making her second appearance on Songcraft, and uh, she is only the second guest to ever do that. Brandy Clark, mm -hmm. who uh, actually is an old friend of mine, she's been on our show twice, and now Natalie is appearing on our show for the second time because she's just done a ton of stuff right. in the last few years uh, to talk about. Her career's just absolutely blown up. So, uh, you know, Natalie and I um, knew each other in, like, early college days uh, back in Nashville, um, and so it's great to, to get an another chance to have her on the show but uh even cooler than that i think is that we got to bring one of our old uh high school buddies somebody that's been very much a part of of my life and your life for a long time uh to come in and, and chat with us a little bit first yeah our friend david manning um we know him as skip we always yeah. kind of grew up knowing him as skip uh, he came through town and uh, we were on our way getting ready to leave to go up uh, for a few days in a cabin in idlewild where we watched 10 music documentaries <laughs> in the space of Two and a half days. Yeah, that's what you're um, saying. And that's just kind of the the currency of our friendship, uh, these types of experiences and these types of conversations. So we brought Skip in uh, because we knew that, that he would have some things to say about some songs, and he did. Yeah, and I think this is... Um, probably one of the best part ones um, that that we have ever done here agree. at Songcraft, uh, just because it, it's very representative of the kind of conversations that uh, that you and I love to have and and love to have with David slash Skip, uh, the artist formerly known as Skip, and uh, <laughs> you know it, it's just uh, the the kind of stuff that we love talking about. It does make this episode a little longer, however. So yeah. uh, I will say that if you're pressed for time today and you want to come back and, and listen to that part later. <laughs> and, and you need to get right to the to the heart of the Natalie interview. Uh, go ahead and fast forward by about 33 minutes, I, I think it yeah. is. Uh, and, and then make sure you come back later and, and listen to all of our, our conversation because it, it's it really is fun. But uh, if you need to just get right to the meat right now, then we want to give you that that kind of reference point. Yeah, if, if you want to miss out, go, go ahead and fast forward. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you want the whole thing, I mean, seriously, you're, you're here. Yeah, you might and, as well listen. And why cut short the old friends theme uh, by only listening to one of the old friends? Good point. Part two. David is not only a good friend, he's a writer himself. He's, he's a writer of uh, words on a page more than songs on the radio. Um, but Much this, more. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, but maybe one of the biggest music fans I know and, and uh, someone who can hold forth on music with the best of them. So, so um, we all went to high school together and uh, we knew David back in those days as Skip. And I think what's interesting, the three of us, I mean, this is, this is like a text conversation come to life because the three of us text <laughs> each other about yeah. music all the time. And one of us will just text the other two guys with something like completely random, you know, like what, what musician do you think can change their own tire, right. you know, or something like that. And then we'll go back <laughs> and forth on that. Week. Yeah. Cool. For, you know, for like a couple days, we'll, we'll yeah. work on that. And I think what's interesting is even though, uh, Skip, you are a creative person. You are, you have, you're published as a poet. Uh, you write short stories. You've written, you know, novel length stuff. I mean, you are a, a prolific uh, writer. So I get that you appreciate music in terms of lyrics and that kind of thing, but you also really are like a music lover. Um, and Paul was pointing out, he's like, I don't think I know even many musicians who love music right. as as much as you do, which oh, is thank you. you know kind of uh, kind of interesting. So this is this is like a, a music uh, nerd fest right now, and and uh, but uh, we decided, and and we have not conferred on this, so we've decided that we're all gonna think of a couple of songs that are generally beloved, songs that people uh, 
it's pretty much accepted that that they are you know like well loved songs. Uh, so, but we're each going to pick ones that we don't like um, <laughs> and talk about why we don't like that song. It really is one of our text conversations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we're going to see if we can change anybody's mind here today. So this could get controversial. But yeah. uh, I think, you know, I would say it's polite to, to let the guest go first. Well, thank you, guys. I've a uh, long-time listener, first-time guest. It's great. <laughs> it's great to be here on the show. <laughs> um so I don't think this is especially controversial, this one, um, because a lot of people don't like this guy and a lot of people probably don't like this song, but it would be Your Body is a Wonderland by John Mayer. Um, it's a big I, hit, though. It counts because it's a big hit. Yeah. I mean, that sold a lot yeah. of records. And um, that song, do I not only not like it, it gives me the creeps. <laughs> it sounds like a sex addict's Valentine card. <laughs> I mean, and... And I'm, I'm going to read out a few of the lyrics. <laughs> Please. I have Please. I have these prepared, but this is not really going to do it justice. Um, <laughs> one mile to every inch of your skin like porcelain, one pair of candy lips and your bubblegum tongue. <laughs> your body is a wonderland. Your body is a wonder. I'll use my hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, that's just straight out terrible. Yeah. But you don't really even from lyrics like this get the full like breathy like you know like you the have to collar nature the of vocal the, yeah. right like exactly it's uncomfortable and it's it's, <laughs> it's frat bro date music to be honest <laughs> um, this reminds me of when i was a little kid in the satin baseball jacket country era hmm. uh where conway yeah. twitty oh, yeah. would like say words like sexy and talk about things like, you know, I'd love to lay you down. And it was like, it's yeah. a little, it made me feel uncomfortable as a kid. I was like, I don't feel like he should be talking this way. Right. Right. I feel the same way about this song, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would have to say that like when that album came out, that I liked that album, and I was okay with Your Body is a Wonderland at the time. It's been a long time, and right. I can't offer any argument to anything that you're saying right now. Because I, I, I'm kind of creeped out by it. I'm certainly creeped out by hearing you read it. Um, yeah, that was unsettling. Yeah, I, I can do the I whole thing. I shouldn't have looked at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, there was some eye contact, and then I broke it real quick. <laughs> can I ask you, is there a singer that you think could deliver it and not creep you out? Prince. Okay. Wow. Amazing. That was so yeah, quick. Prince had done the same so thing. And the funny thing is, Prince would do just as big a come on. It would be just as every bit as like lascivious. I mean... We all love Prince. Right. He was never one to underplay things, <laughs> you know. So I don't think he'd give it a stoic, laconic reading. <laughs> but you would feel like you would feel like there's a chance this girl is into this, yeah. Well, yeah. and it's fine. Yeah. Prince like, has earned it. It's a relationship of equals. Yeah. Well, because he's not delivering the lyric wearing a windbreaker. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think that might have something to do with it. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna go right for one that. You know, I don't know how you guys are going to feel about this, um, okay. but, and this is a classic. This is a classic song. I don't like Layla. Oh, oh wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. And let me, let me explain. Wow. It starts out. <laughs> right. Sure. Awesome. Love that part. And then like, what do you do when you get lonely? Already. I'm now checking out. I forgot that the song is on. Uh, okay. I, it's become background noise to me. Then the piano part, dun, 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 and I'm like, oh yeah, this song's still on. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's that. <laughs> oh, it's a long song. Yeah, yeah. and I, there is there is never a time that I listen to that song and don't forget that I'm listening to it. 
You think it's because it's so long and so overplayed? Well, apparently, he forgot by the first lyric. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter, right? Well, yeah. I stopped being interested after the first lyric. And then I will say, once the piano comes in and then there's that Dwayne Allman, Eric Clapton guitar back and forth, it's like from that part to the end is great. Like, just give me well, that as an instrumental. Can, can I tell you why this is sad? Because nobody is trying harder to make you keep listening than Eric Clapton <laughs> in that song. He, I mean, he is screaming every yeah, lyric. Yeah. He's on his knees, for God's sake. He's <laughs> pounding out the riff over and over and over again. He's, right. he's just like losing his voice. And I just feel bad. Yeah, he's begging, dude. That's sort yeah. of like Please listen. Yeah. through the speakers. You're just like, nah. Remember he, when he did the unplugged thing and yeah. he did that version of Layla? Well, that, nah, I tuned yeah. that out. No, that was so. the worst. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he took out all the, he took out right. all the parts like a that, that you want to yeah. hear. I mean, you, you can't, uh, it's hard to separate, you know, the record from the song in that, in that point. Cause there is only one Layla to me. The unplugged Layla is not even a thing really. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I see where you're going with it. I'm going to disagree with it and just saying that I don't feel the same way, but I don't right. want to invalidate your feelings. Well, here, so. no, the point is to invalidate my feelings. I mean, I think we <laughs> well, they're not valid, but I'm not. <laughs> I want to be a good but friend. I, I, to me, it's, it's the same as Rolling Stone's start me up. It's the start me up effect. And, and to me, the start me up effect is a real thing, which is when the song starts, you go, yes. Yeah. And then you never don't forget that that song is on while it's still playing because there's some point in, <laughs> in start me up when you're like, Oh yeah, this is still going. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, okay. it's like the intro is so attention grabbing, but it just can't sustain the, the interest level throughout the entire song. Yeah. What do you think about start me up though? Cause I mean, the stones are all that, or the rock songs at least are all that like that identifying riff. And right. then, what do you think it is about start me up? That's more so than say like Brown sugar. Well, brown sugar's got the horns, you know, that come in later. Like it goes somewhere, it moves, or like give me shelter. Like the you know the woman's voice comes in. Like there's something that like sure. start me up. Like it's all riff. Like and I love that riff. Like if I go see the Stones live, I want them to open with that. I'm gonna be out of my seat. I'm gonna be like yeah. And then you're gonna but, forget it's on. Just and I'm gonna forget over. it's on. And then I'm gonna be like, are we still at a concert? Um, so yeah, I think it's, it, it's, and again, like I love Dwayne Allman. I think what he and Clapton are doing on Layla, like instrumentally is cool, but you talk about like as a song. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I think it's overrated. By the way, Scott's a master at this at right. coming up with his song and then talking about two songs. <laughs> so, yeah. That's kind of cheating. You guys can tell about as yeah, many songs. Good job. Um, all right. I'm going to throw out mine. Balls up. I don't know if it's going to offend you guys. Uh, but I think the world is not going to like what I have to say. Okay. That's the Fortunately, best. the world is not listening. Um, <laughs> Imagine by John Lennon. I'm with uh, you. Huh. I'm with you. I think the melody is beautiful. Yeah, I'm not saying that it has no redeeming qualities. Uh, I just... It, it is so much kind of the template of that kind of song as to just fade into the background to me. Like, it's... Mm. Um, and also, you know, he's like... Hey, just imagine that there, that nobody has any money, and imagine that there's no heaven and all that. And you know, you, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I hope you'll join us. What? There's nothing hard about imagining that. Right. Making these things happen is just horribly That's, difficult. Yeah. And it's so there's a naivety to it that kind of keeps me from fully buying in. But can we ever make it happen until we imagine it first? Ugh. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed by even talking about it. And what's funny is like, I, I, when I see people do like Pearl Jam uh, did imagine at this show that my wife and I went to, and it was out in the soccer stadium and everybody had their lights up and, you know, it was, it was a beautiful moment. And I could recognize the fact that imagine was a beautiful moment 
and it was kind of uniting the people and we all shared in the song but i kind of wish it had been let it be right i feel like the same thing could have happened over a different song like just uh, and i also don't think imagine is anywhere close to john lennon's best song and it's always kind of i think that's what bothers me about it too is that it's kind of regarded as his definitive work his most famous and song. i think in my life is a thousand times greater sure. song i'll give you that i don't think it's his imagine. best song so, yeah. i do like it though and i i almost wonder if it's not like like i used to hear um well, I'll, I'll give an example of like our era, but like when Pulp Fiction came out, that was a kind of transformative movie for our generation because we hadn't seen movies like that. And then that movie became so imitated yeah. that like if somebody who's in their 20s now were to watch it, they'd be like, so. That's what I because, mean by the template you know, thing, I think. Yeah. But I wonder if Imagine like almost helped set that template, but now the template has become so tired that we go back to the original thing and go, so. Maybe. I've never loved it though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm more with Paul on this one. I think it's a it is a pretty melody. I agree with you on that. And it's it's obviously an iconic song. But I mean, even if like all right, so you have this this aspirational song that he does. I mean, Give Peace a Chance has a lot more teeth to it, right? Scott doesn't believe that's a song. <laughs> We've had this discussion. Excuse me? What makes it not a song? song? Yeah. That's just chanting. It's sloganeering. It's, sure. it's, it's because at no point does it go, you hoo. <laughs> like, if it did that, then it would be a song. No, that's the, uh, the, that's the we didn't start the fire category. It's not a song. It's just okay, words. But here's, here's the thing. So you've done a song for, you know, for right or wrong, some sort of um, social purpose, right? I could think that if you were doing any, either of those songs for a social purpose now, Give Peace a Chance actually has meaning. And mm. I'm not sure Imagine does. Totally. Mm. Well, I will say this. You look at a song like A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. Okay, that's, that's, better, that's song, better than both of those songs. That, yeah, no, that yeah. song is amazing. And it's also born out of a struggle that that man yeah. experienced. We know that being an African-American in the 1960s in America was inherently fraught with challenges that other people didn't Did have to face. Did he write that? Yes. Okay. Well, and yeah. you know, so it's born out of, out of reality and it's hopeful. Whereas like, I get that like with John Lennon, it's a little hard. I mean, John Lennon definitely led a pretty comfortable life, but from the time he There's became an adult, too. you know, yeah. Um, I, so. I think you just completely made my point. So I want to say thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Um, so what you got? All right. So um, <clears throat> this, I think in the 80s and 90s, if you had to pick who the biggest rock band would be, it would be U2. Mm -hmm. Now, I've never been particularly a fan. I like a few of their things, but for the most part, I have one spot in my heart that's reserved for Springsteen, and that is my max with the whole rock and roll is going to save your soul <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I don't really have room for another one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm completely devoted to Springsteen and you two is just sort of like lay off, <laughs> lay off. I'm, I don't want to anthem my way to Jesus. today. <laughs> but I do recognize they have some, they have some stuff that people like and right. like they're weirder stuff I like, but I can't pride in the name of love. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're fighting. We're um, well, you did imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me that. You're not going to cut me off at the heels in front of America. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> well, okay. I thought you were going to say one. 
I actually kind of like that song. And I, I was going to give you that I'm tired of one. I, I mean, I'm tired of all their stuff, but <laughs> sure. Listen, I've always said this. You can't get into U2 unless you 100% buy into Bono and Absolutely. everything that Bono is. Absolutely. Bono is like Jim Morrison in that way, and only in that way, because to me, Bono is great in Jim Morrison. It's not, that's a well, conversation for another day. That he's um, better than but Jim But you Morrison. can't be into the doors if you don't buy into Jim Morrison to the hilt. Correct. So there is, like, I would never try to argue what the magic of pride is to me mm. and think I'm going to convince you because I would have to convince you of Bono first. Right. And I don't think that that's going to happen. That's correct. But I'll tell you that I think here's, here's what, what I'm going to say about pride. Kings of Leon never wrote a great song in my opinion, until they toured with you two. Okay. And I think a song like that, I'm not saying that song in particular, could have been that could have been where the streets have no name. Could have been, could have been one mm -hmm. at some point. Those follow will brothers could have been lemon. Probably not lemon. <laughs> stay far away so close we this all day. <laughs> looked out from behind the curtain after their set and watched Bono hold that crowd in the palm of his hand with pride in the name of love or something and went oh we should write something like Sex on Fire right. because that sounded like a song that was written after touring with you two so that's the only thing that I'm going to argue with for the greatness of that song is that I think it is it's influential to the point that rock and roll has benefited from its existence well and I'll say this too like <clears throat> Millions of people love that song and they love it for the right reason. I, I'm not, unlike say your body is a wonderland. I don't think there's anything <laughs> cynical about it. No, they are behind it. Bono I doesn't have a cynical I do, bone I body. I totally I believe that he, they are completely earnest. They're being completely real. There is one other thing with that song too, though. It's actually flawed. April, early morning, early morning. April 4th. Yeah. Like King wasn't shot till late afternoon, yeah. early evening. Now Bono has admitted that. And he said that was a mistake. Uh, he corrects it in concert. So kudos to him. Yeah. Nonetheless, the song itself, when you hear it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a pretty big mistake. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right about that. <laughs> you're memorializing a man not getting the details of his death right. No, I mean, I think I, I can see the validity in that. I, I personally happen to like Pride in the Name of Love, as m many people do. But uh, um, and, and I'm going to throw out one that I actually don't know how you guys are going to feel. You might agree with me on this. Let me preface this by saying that the people who kind of do that thing of like, it's just knee jerk accepted that we're all supposed to hate the Eagles. If we're, if we're mm. music fans, I, I think that's obnoxious. I think the Eagles were a great band. Um, I like their first few albums. Uh, I do not have kind of a, an anti Eagles thing that I think you're supposed to have to be, you know, incredibly cool as a, as a commentator on music. Um, but uh, hotel California don't mm. like it. Don't 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 need it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I guess I'm just the everyman here. <laughs> I, I mean, I I still really like that song, and I don't know if it's because it it brings me back to you know the point in time in my life when I heard it or or what. But there's something to me about a like a minor key, mournful, spooky guitar riff that's right. always gonna kind of get me. You yeah. know, like the um, well, Lewis that's what kind of stuff. If that's what you like about it, there's plenty of that. Because when I hear it, I'm like, when does the song start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's quite a bit of guitar playing <laughs> yeah, there's, there, yeah i mean there's a lot of guitar playing um i mean is there anything to be said for the fact that you know a line like you can check out anytime you like but you can never leave that line is famous enough to almost have like entered the lexicon right as like a, a sure. phrase we could throw around with sure. each other yeah but unfortunately it doesn't mean anything 
Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, probably. Uh, I don't know what it means. Don thinks it means something. I'm certain. Well, in and the, he'll tell you about it. In the yeah. Eagles documentary, uh, somewhere around hour nine, uh, <laughs> they're talking about what the what the lyrics of that song means, and and Henley says. It's a song about the journey from innocence to experience. And I'm like, then I liked innocence. I liked, <laughs> yes. I liked the early Eagles stuff. I liked the first like three albums. And then once we get into Hotel California, I'm, you know, it's, it's real hit or miss for me. And I got to say, I'm, I, I don't think Joe Walsh uh, was a great addition to the Eagles. I don't think he fits with the Eagles. And that's clearly not a popular opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally like, the Joe Walsh stuff. I like that kind. Of, I like the kind of rock and Eagles. I don't like Heartache Tonight, by the way, but that's, that's the rock and Eagles song that I don't like. Um, you air quotes around rocking on that yeah, one. Yeah, You're more exactly. of a life in the fast lane, man. I love life in the fast lane. <laughs> no, <laughs> I do. Um, I've known since I was 16 about Paul's love for that song. If you ever notice when we're back on, because I am one of those guys that that reflexively dislikes the Eagles, but I lay off that song because I know how much Paul likes I, it. I have my car programmed for the windows to come down when the riff of Life in the Fast Lane starts. It just happens. Yeah, I'm sure I don't your even neighbors have to are impressed. <laughs> um, Terrorizing the South. <laughs> but I will say that if you're somebody that loves the Doolin Dalton era of the Eagles, yes. I can see why you wouldn't be digging exactly. Victim of Love yeah. and whatnot. I like rural Eagles, not uh, not you urban like Eagles. You like peyote Eagles more than cocaine Eagles. Yes, 100%. Wow. Yeah, I kind of like cocaine Eagles, uh, but I didn't have to be in the band. I don't think anybody in the band liked cocaine Eagles much. Um, I like CCR, and I just cut the Eagles out together. <laughs> like, um, I like the no Eagles. That's the part I like. Right. Well, um... I'm going to throw out one that I think we're all going to agree on. And I think it, we're all going to agree on it to the point that we may even just argue over the fact whether or not this song is actually beloved. <laughs> but old time rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Come but, to me. Uh, listen. My dad just turned off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bob Seger. Right. I love Bob Seger to the point that I would call him one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite artists. You know, Bob can deliver a lyric in that world weary voice and just kind of bring me to tears there's something about that song that makes me mad um and i i don't really like any song that talks about rock and roll i don't think uh, exactly right uh exactly. the moment you do that and and then also i don't know how i'd like i should should have looked this up beforehand how old bob seger was when they made that song He's talking like he's 90 right. in the song. You that drag song me like out to a disco. 1980, right. 81, something like that. I mean, he had it was early 80s. Like, yeah. Like in his early 30s, right? I would think. Yeah. I mean, rock and roll as a concept was only 25 years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so true. It's been more time since old time rock and roll came out to now than it was between uh, well the over birth that of rock and roll. Time, yeah. I, I will dislocate my shoulder trying to get to the radio to change it it's terrible <laughs> when i hear bum, 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 dun, dun, dun. i don't want to hear the second one right now you know I, and it's I'm, not about tom cruise and risky business i couldn't care about that or any of that kind of stuff i just he didn't even write the song did he not no i didn't know that so, so not, bob Seger, i don't know who, as much about i consider Seger like one of the guess. greatest writers out there heard this and goes whoo i gotta do that one yeah i mean the man wrote night moves which is a masterwork Main Street is a masterwork. Yeah. So, yeah both of those songs, I mean, he is, he is yeah. one of the most underrated songwriters of all time. 
And maybe, I mean, the lesson there is write your own songs, dude. You can't pick them, but you sure can write that them. That might have been a labeled. You know what I mean? Like in retrospect, maybe that was a label thing. It's... We need a we need a good we need a single. You know the Chris Farley dance? It's kind of like <laughs> I wish I wish the listeners could see what I just did. That's that, good podcast. That's yeah, exactly. It's the in a van down by the river. That's yeah, the dance yeah. I do when I hear it. Just like <laughs> all fists and elbows. You know? Well, to your point, the the whole there are so all songs or almost all songs that name check rock and roll are bad yeah harder yeah. rock and roll huey lewis yeah, yeah terrible oh my i think honestly my least favorite song ever and i i mean this is it still rock and roll to me by billy joel Ooh. oh yeah wow that's yeah. that's a rough one. that's a tough one and yeah. i remember skip one time you saying i don't like songs about rock and roll or dancing and i was yeah. like yeah i don't think i don't can't think of it uh, they like, don't work out led well. zeppelin rock and roll is maybe on the edge of like i mean okay. uh, it's only rock and roll but i like it the stones are my favorite band yeah. so only rock and roll <laughs> I, I would i would give a pass to that one because it sounds sloppy well and like, it's also you know what i mean it's only rock and roll yeah, yeah. they're you know, not making they're any not big celebrating claims. it yeah, yeah it's whatever right when 38 special says close enough for rock and roll and rocking into the night. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with saying the word rock and roll, I think, in a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just don't want the song to be about rock and roll. I mean, I'll, right, I right, think right. it's probably, if you're a songwriter, it's best to avoid having to say rock and roll. Like, just let's leave it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's an important distinction where rock and roll is not the blues, right? Like, blues guys can say it all day long. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, fine. Right. Sounds good. Yeah, what is the blues Because it's you're actually not a state of it. mind in addition to just being a genre of music that you right. happen to work in. How do we feel about soul singers singing about soul? As in Sweet Soul Music or Soul Man. I got soul and I'm super bad. Those are awesome. As yeah. long as you got it in before 1974, I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You can't talk about having soul if, now. If you did it after that, no. How about the killers? I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. I like that line. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let it slide. The killers. Yeah. Was that after 1974? Yeah. That I'm not familiar. Brandon Flowers, I think, was born maybe in 1974. <laughs> I'm, oh, we're on to you now, aren't we? All right, I got, uh, I got one. Well, I don't really actually have a whole lot to say about this song. It's just a big hit that I. It's very much like Scott's. I just forget that it's on. And American Girl by Tom Petty. Like, oh, I like American Girl. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll also <laughs> cop to this. I think Tom Petty's fine. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the guy. Tom Petty's more than fine. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this I have the mic. <laughs> we'll pass it back over here when you're done. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he never wrote Layla. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I think the guy's fine. I saw him in concert one time. I had a good time. Like, I, people love him. That's all fine. He's not the Eagles to me, and that I actually do like some of his stuff. Right. American Girl comes on, and if I haven't turned it off, I just forget it. I just forget yeah. that it's on. It's just like, and I think she was disappointed by a boyfriend and she's on her balcony and yeah, the highway. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, I'm pretty out on anything of like, make it last all night, you know, <laughs> right. that's fine. We all like to make it last all night, but if it's in a song, probably I don't think it's very good. <laughs> I, even though I love American girl and, and I will hear no criticisms of it. I can guess uh, which part of it is the equivalent of the Layla piano part is the, and that's when you're like oh yeah this song's on yeah. I, I bet that's the, the the equivalent part yeah although i am always paying attention in american girl i like it you know i'll say this about american girl i i love tom petty and and i will pull up some tom petty every now and then because it sits right in the line between kind of feeling like rock but it's not too heavy it also has kind of got that like 
writer troubadour vibe where I feel Ooh, like I'm getting a singer songwriter right, right, at the same right. time. Tom Petty lands in a nice spot for me. Um, with that said, I'm way more likely to go for Refugee or The Waiting uh, or uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance. I mean, I've got like a list of favorites of Tom Petty songs. And if I went to that list and didn't see American Girl in it, I wouldn't miss it. Yeah. Hmm, so that's right. kind of how I feel about Like it's not, if it comes on, I'm not like, Do, please turn this off. But if you gave me like, if, if I went to see Tom Petty, and he did play Free Falling, and he did play Mary Jane's Last Dance, and Refugee, and The Waiting. I probably wouldn't notice he hadn't played American Girl until halfway in the drive home. Mm-hmm. See, I would notice. I would. I, I think it's, to me, it's an essential. I mean, I love his Wildflowers album. To me, is one of my top 10 favorite albums of all time. Tom's one of my probably top 10 favorite artists of all time. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I love me some Tom. So... Uh, but thank you for coming by, Skip, and that'll be all. Uh, we, uh, uh, well, I think you're about to ruffle pollenized feathers with your next choice. <laughs> yeah, I've got that look. In I my actually eye. know this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, and, and I don't know. I mean, okay, Paul, you are a well documented Elton John fan. Yeah, probably your favorite artist. Well documented on this podcast, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and in other places where we document your proclivities, right. um, <laughs> the I, dark I, web. <laughs> 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 so even though i know that you love elton john paul and and skip you're an elton john fan as well i'm and a look, big fan yeah. i i i love me some 70s elton i mean i'm i'm you know not quite in the camp that you guys are and i respect elton candle in the wind is i mean the songs that i've talked about so far <laughs> well you did pick the hardest one to defend. The, 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 <laughs> the songs that i've talked about so far are just songs i don't like I'm taking a step further and I'm going to say this is a bad song. It is not just that I don't have a taste for it. Uh, okay. I, I, it is bad. And, and let me tell you why. <laughs> Paul's making a face <laughs> that I wish you could all see. Yeah. Um, so, okay. And it's the lyrics. So in, in a way, Elton's kind of off the hook. It's really my beef is with Bernie Toppin here. Um, but here's this, this, and this is where it started for me. And then it all went downhill, but I started thinking about the line, your candle burned out long before your legend ever did. Well, when did her legend burn out? Like what if her legend burned out, we'd all go, well, who in the world is this song about? I mean, Marilyn Monroe is probably one of the most iconic Americans to have ever lived. The legend has not, has only grown. So the idea would be like your candle burned out long before your legend ever will be like that would maybe make sense mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense go ahead well to quote from spinal <laughs> tap that's nitpicking isn't it uh, <laughs> you know i uh, yeah paul and i are big elton john fans and uh you, that's actually a really good point I, what's funny about you saying that this is not a very good song it's actually by bernie standards quite well crafted yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that it's 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 very like tight and it's locked together and it's you know it's all about like, the same thing all about the same thing <laughs> it's you know it's it's not yeah. uh you know bob dylan lunchtime hour <laughs> james joyce <laughs> yeah right exactly or whatever he almost read that day <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's no crocodile rock but but, but don't, I don't mean, take mine it's it's <laughs> <laughs> your own favorite artist yeah. here this is controversial but it's is is a very mawkish song I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's actually an effective song of Elton songs. I listen to, I don't go out of my way to ever listen to candle in the wind. And it, right. it might, I guess at this point, it probably would be the thing on goodbye. Yellow brick road that I would come closest to skipping. 
Yeah. Because I, who needs to hear it again? Plus, is one of the only song I can think of that was a bigger hit when it was rewritten and brought up by the well, same artist than it was the first time it was out. Well, don't get me started on that. Yeah, verse. That's, <laughs> that's part. Of but that, I mean, that's that song's legacy is that you can't talk about the song without that. Yeah, the song burned out long before it's legend. <laughs> <laughs> well, they write themselves. You know, I, I'm going to agree with Skip in that that Bernie Taupin he he flies fast and loose you know like as a writer so sure. I, I'm, I'm gonna give him a few parts where he kind of careens off the edge of the highway right you yeah. know uh did the papers only say that Marilyn was found in the nude <laughs> probably not you know well see i i, I was kind of giving I, I was wondering about that because it's like all the papers had to say was that Marilyn was found in the nude like that's ridiculous or is he saying all the oh, papers all had the to say papers it. had to say yeah yeah so i yeah. wonder what he meant no because he said all the papers had to say was that Marilyn was found in the nude right right so i think it's uh, i think it's the yeah. former so okay that's bad my, my other question is the 22nd row of what i don't really know her as a live performer so i'm guessing the movie theater, the movie theater which yeah. You, yeah. row numbers what row they sat in? yeah hey did you see the new james bond movie i did we sat in the 14th row what? yeah so well, they used to have in fairness they used to have ushers and stuff it used to be an experience can i just say this though I, I, i'm gonna use this as an opportunity to praise elton because oh yeah for him to take those lyrics and turn them into something that was radio worthy That's right. as a melody writer is insane. From the young man in the 22nd. I mean, how do you put those lyrics in that kind of melodic flow and make it sound right. natural? Yeah. Like what he did with Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, the lyrics to that chorus, I'm hunting the horny back toad. That should never have been <laughs> right. on the radio. He didn't even ask him to rewrite it. They no. must be such good He'd friends. He'd just be like, all right, here we go. Right. It's all melody and, and these songs. And I think, I think the whole the whole thing about the Elton John phenomenon to me is that the melodies are so straightforward, so accessible, and so amazing, and then they're paired with these esoteric lyrics yeah. that make the music feel important and and make it important. So, but I, I I'll kind of give you that on Candle in the Wind because similar to Skip, uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is one of my favorite Elton records, and I will skip Candle in the Wind. I think for me it's more because of overexposure right. so to the song. Too, yeah. Um, but I, I don't even need to probably talk too much about how much i don't like crocodile rock right um and i think you know i mean it comes back to almost a song about rock in a way yeah oh, it, it, totally. it definitely does yes. and i don't know what you know what minute point we're at in this or hour point in the podcast but um there's something to be said i think for everyone's favorite artist you should have a song of theirs you hate if they're prolific enough i absolutely agree with that yeah. i mean there's a couple of yeah. Beatles songs i don't like yeah you know there's oh, a, this I mean, again <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you're a huge fan of Honey Pie. <laughs> All right, I'm. I don't. I don't have to hear. Uh, why don't we do it in the road? I, mean, right. yeah. I don't like Nowhere Man, so my okay. a little deeper than that. All right. yeah. <laughs> that should have been one of yours. <laughs> that is no, no. I don't. Dis- no, I don't dislike it enough for it to show up here. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about when you talk about the Beatles, you're right. talking about Beatles standards. It's an enclosed universe. It's different. It's yeah. not that. It's not better than most people's other stuff. Right. Right. Even the worst Beatles songs are better than a lot of other people's right. songs. Right. Yeah. I would say that's the case. Well, so Paul, did you have any others? Do we just want to leave it like just hang it on Elton? I think we can hang it on Elton. Yeah. I I think that we may have covered this ground. I mean, I feel like I had the grace to hold myself while you guys around me crawled, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm I'm good. We can put a pen in it. I think we've. Uh, I I think probably no one's still listening. I kind of feel like we're getting nowhere, man. <laughs> Part three. 
Once again, our guest on this episode of Songcraft is Natalie Hemby, a six-time Grammy nominee and two-time winner who has earned five CMA Song of the Year nominations and was named Music Row Magazine's 2021 Female Songwriter of the Year. Her songs have been recorded by Casey Musgraves, Alicia Keys, Lady Gaga, Marin Morris, Ed Sheeran, Cheryl Crow, Dirks Bentley, Eli Youngband, Kelly Clarkson, Chris Isaac, Blake Shelton, Leanne Womack, and many others. We last spoke with Natalie in 2017, but we catch up with her today to find out more about her life as a behind-the-scenes songwriter, her work with the supergroup The High Women, and her critically acclaimed solo album Pens and Needles. Natalie, welcome back to Songcraft. Thank you so much for having me back. I am so happy. Uh, I remember talking to you guys in 2017. Obviously, we've known each other for a super long time, but I am. Uh, you were just telling me that I'm one of the few people who've been on this uh, podcast twice, yeah. and Brandy Clark is the other one. Yep. If there's anyone I'm in good company with, it's Brandy Clark. Yep. So <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Well, it's great to have you back and uh, to catch up on your career because um, the Natalie Hemby that we talked to in 2017 had really accomplished uh, a lot. Uh, the Natalie Hemby of 2021 kicks 2017 Natalie Hemby's ass. You've done <laughs> so much in the last few years. It's it's crazy. Um, so I want to start out by asking you about um, your latest solo album, Pins and Needles. Last time we talked to you, you had just uh, done a record called Puxico. Um, and this yeah. is a very different type of record. Um, talk a little bit about why this was the time to 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 put your stake in the ground with another artist release you've obviously done a ton as a as a songwriter but putting yourself out there again as an artist um how did you know that that this was the time to take on this project well you know actually everything i do i it takes forever because like i'm not sure you know mike my husband is the producer of my stuff and he he takes a long time usually putting together the records and stuff like that so i had started I had actually started this probably in around 2018. And um, so I, you know, after Puxico, Puxico was like the love letter to my grandparents, to my grandparents' hometown. And I was so glad that I put it out and I just wanted to see if people would respond well to it. And, and they did. And I got to do some really cool things. I got to play on the Grand Ole Opry. I got to open for Tim and Faith for a weekend. And um, it just opened a lot of doors. Um, so after that happened, uh, I was sort of like, you know, I, I knew that I was, I always wanted to make a 1997, 1998 record um, that I never got to make back in the day. I got a record deal. I almost got a record deal when I was like 18 or 19, somewhere around that age. Right. And it was with Columbia Records. They last minute we're like you know we're not signing anybody they were switching hands and will bought one was the head of the label and he was let go and his staff whatever so all that to say i was just like i feel like um i was i've been stuck in that era for a long time <laughs> <laughs> right because i loved the music of the 1997s uh basically i loved um 
you know, that little affair, the eclecticness of, of the radio. It was like Paula Cole. It was Sean Colvin, Cheryl Crow. And then you had like bands like Fastball and even Patty Griffin was starting to like, she's making huge waves here in Nashville. But I also think of like artists like Joan Osborne and mm. Tracy Chapman, who had these big hits on radio that had almost like blues influence, if you will. And I just, I really wanted to make a record like that, you know, that kind of uh, fused it all together. And so I just started holding back some songs and these are songs that I've written over time. The oldest one on there is, um, I think is the one with, um, uh, I wrote with Miranda, um, It Takes One, but also the Brothers Osborne, the first song we ever wrote together is on there. It's called, and that's Pins and Needles. So I just started like holding these songs back and Mike and I, we would go through a list of songs, my husband, and he'd be like, I think this is really, you know, that kind of harkens back to that era of, and that idea. Hmm. And Heroes was one of the first songs we did record. And actually on, on the recording, that is my scratch vocal because when he started playing that, the intro to it, right. I was like, I was hooked. I was like, this is, yes, this is what I want. I love it. <laughs> so anyway, so I, you know, we just started diving in and, and we just started making this record. Um, and we, with, you know, very directly with this in mind, with this type of theme, if you will. So, um, you know, also <laughs> when you are from an era and you're trying to like, bring it back i, I there's, a, there's this trick like you can't totally be a throwback necessarily right but how how to make it how to bring back the 90s but not like bring back the full throwbackness of the 90s hmm. yeah. and i i think you know um that i i credit that to my husband really um but i that has to do more with production than anything else right but i definitely <laughs> that was the trick you know yeah. Not to make it like a throwback record, but to make it, you know, sound fresh, you know, yeah. but also have that influence in there. And I think that's what we did. You know, I, I love the record. I've, I know it sounds really, this is how, you know, though, if, if you love your record and you listen to it over and over and you're really proud of it, that's how, you know, Yeah. you yeah. know, it's time to put it out. It, whether or not anybody else loves it is beyond your control but hmm. that's kind of how you know when it's time to put it out so yeah you know uh when we did the first interview with you it was it was kind of easy to figure out how to go through it we we're like okay well here's when you were born here's where you went to school and then we you know, go song <laughs> by song and now i'm just kind of looking through the last few years and i go where, where do i even start you know there's just so so much as scott said that you've done i, I think i'm going to start with this Today is your opportunity to apologize for making me cry when I watched A Star is Born. <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm so honored that you did, too. Well, listen, I mean, pe people talk about that soundtrack uh, as they should. I mean, it was, it was uh, kind of a, a world shaker. Um, and to me, that was the standout song. Um, Always Remember Us This Way. 
just an amazing song. So I'd, I'd love to kind of hear you uh, get into how that opportunity came about and how that song came about. Okay, yes. Well, I tell you what, uh, I had been working with Anderson East and Dave Cobb, uh, he was like, I met Anderson through Miranda and, and also Dave was like, he called me and he was like, would you want to come uh, right out in California with Lori McKenna and, and Hillary uh, writing for Stars Born, Aaron Ray Tier? And I was like, yes, yes, I would love to. So we go out there and it's at, this is, we wrote these songs at the studio, in the studio where Pet Sounds was recorded. Oh, geez. Wow. So we wrote all these songs on Frank Sinatra's piano <laughs> that is in that studio. And then also the, the, the cherry on top of the whole thing was uh, the Foo Fighters were there recording their record that week with Greg Kirsten. Wow. And we got to hang out with them and eat with them and drink with them. And they are the nicest dudes on the planet. But we were there writing all week for this record. So they had not filmed the, the film. And obviously we know everyone knows the storyline. But Bradley Cooper was writing the, the script and he was he was there a lot. He's very handsome, smells very good. And um, <laughs> I was going to ask. Pretty sure that I hugged him longer than he hugged me. But <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, so. But and then um, Lady Gaga was there and, and Stephanie. I, I didn't we didn't know what to call her. We were just like, do we call her Stephanie? She's like, you can call me Stephanie, you can call me Lady Gaga. Or you, I mean, you can call me Allie if you want. That's the name of her character. <laughs> and I was like, nope, I can't do that. But so we we wrote with her all week. And um, at first, it was so awesome. Started off great. Like, we were excited. We just kept writing song after song after song. And then towards the end of the week, it was sort of like, started getting the nuts and bolts of things. And, and I don't know, we just we felt a little defeated. And so by the end of the week, we kind of went home with our tail tucked between our legs. And I was like, I don't even know if this thing is going to even, you don't ever really know if a film's going to be filmed, yeah. much less a record be made. And so I went home thinking, I, I just will be lucky if we have one song on this record on, on this soundtrack. Hmm. So then they let us know that actually uh, I had two on there. Uh, Hillary had two. No, how many did Hillary have? I can't remember. She had a few on there. And then uh, Aaron Ray Tier had four on there. And so we were all really happy and surprised. Well, we get invited to go to the premiere. And I mean, I did the same thing. It was like I didn't even know these people on the screen. It, it was like I was so sucked in that movie. And then when she did Always Remembers This Way, I just had chills just running up and down my spine. Um, just because... You know, to write a song like that and then to have someone of that voice sing it is like what it, it's like such an honor, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a once in a lifetime deal as a songwriter. Every time we say goodbye, baby, it hurts. When the sun goes down and the band won't play. This way, lovers in the night. Oh, it's trying to ride. So by the end of the movie, I'm just bawling, and so is Hillary and and Lori and 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 Aaron. Even is like, 
man, that's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It just like exploded, you know, it just, everybody started buying the soundtrack and I don't, I don't know. It was, it was definitely, that was my 2018. (laughs) It was like such a moment, if you will. You talk about the feeling of hearing, you know, a certain voice, sing your material and and it just made me think about the difference in kind of the way you write and the way your career works versus someone like bernie Taupin, who basically wrote with elton john the entire time and i imagine he became a little desensitized to elton's delivery after say album 30 um (laughs) but for you you know you look to the left and here's you know casey musgraves over here and then there's brandy carlisle over here and then lady gaga over there it it must be kind of a a new experience each time when when a new voice of different stature and different delivery delivers your material every time oh it is and and delivery is everything you know um and also Marin, when she she's cut a couple of my songs and i'm just like blown away by her voice Um, And they're all different voices, you know, and I think that's really uh, for me, that's what I, I like this wide uh, body of work that I have with different voices. I love everyone's voice. I do. I love trying to figure out what song fits that voice. Um, And that to me is like, it's a great challenge to do that. And so, you know, I, you know, Stephanie, like, or Lady Gaga, I don't know what to call her still, but uh, whenever she, when we were writing, always remember us this way. It was like when she would, you know, sing those high notes, it was just like, she didn't, it was like nothing for her. Hmm. For me, it's like, this is my high note, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Right. but for her, it was just like, just came so natural. She has such a, uh, what I like, what I like about her, she's, she really is diverse in a lot of different ways. Like she does do electronic music. She does dance, pop, all that stuff, but she also can do the classics and sing with um, Tony Bennett. And, and so it was fun to write a song that maybe fell in line of more of a, what a big pop song that would be in the seventies, if you will. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like a big ballad, you know, just like, I, I miss big ballads like that. I miss the Whitney Houston's and the, <laughs> you know, I, the, I miss those soundtracks, you know, that right. we used to listen to back in the nineties. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The bodyguard style soundtracks. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, uh, you know, you talk about always remember us this way, which was nominated for uh, Grammy song of the year. And you actually won uh, a Grammy for I'll never love again. Also from that same uh, soundtrack. Um, talk a bit about putting together that song. Well, I'll never love again. She wanted to write at the end of the, the, um, the song at the end of the film. So and like I said, it has still not have been filmed. Um, you know, the script kept changing, even though it's still same kind of plot line. But um, so she had this idea of I'll never love again. That was her title. And we did. We wrote it like a very just a very somber sort of way. And by the way, there were other writers, too, on this soundtrack that like wanted to write the ending song. Right. But for some reason, Hillary and Aaron and I were so lucky to be in the room with her. She wanted to write this song this day. And I mean, even when she sang it in the room with us, it was just like, 
I mean, her voice is so loud and present and big. It'll just, it's jarring. It's so moving, if you will. Right. So whenever she's like, don't want to feel another touch, you know, it's like, you're like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) So, I mean, I'm used to like, you know, country, like, girl, you know, won't you, girl, you know, need you, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. (laughs) So to hear a, just a classic all-time singer sing it, it was uh, very moving. We were up against tough competition in that category, and I did not think we were going to win. And also, uh, Aaron lost his phone in the uh, taxi and the Uber over to the Grammy. He left his phone in there. <laughs> so we were trying to find his phone, and then they announced our names. We had to go scurrying up there, and it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it, it was such a somber day that day, though, because uh, Kobe had died, and it was like, it was just that was my first Grammy, but it was like so hard to get in a celebratory mood because there was just such a heaviness hanging over that city, you know? Right. Yeah. And you're right there yeah. at the Staples Center. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, and Alicia, she led the whole thing and, and she did such an amazing job. But there was it was it was very, it was a very, very sad night. So yeah. um, but. I will never forget um, winning that. And also Imogen Heap gave me the award and I'm a huge Imogen Heap fan. So <laughs> nice. You know, um, I've always looked at someone like Casey Musgraves as a real free spirit. Um, it seems to come through in her music. Uh, and I've also kind of had the feeling that to really write your best material, it's not always about being geared up to write. It's about feeling freedom. It's about feeling loose and relaxed enough with the people that you're working with to work. Uh, so I just want to ask you kind of on a personal level, is the freedom that I hear in Casey Musgraves music, is that part of what the process was like in making it? Oh, yeah. I mean, Casey is very um, sincere in her approach to music. And she's not a like, she's not like, you can't, you can't have your publisher call her publisher and be like, hey, we really need to get these two together. <laughs> like, it needs to be very authentic. If she wants to write, you should call you. And, and, you know, I didn't write with her for the slash. I only wrote with her one time on the slash record, but I think Casey has, she has to find her way through her feelings, through what she wants to say. And you know what? Uh, I know Brandy Clark has been there a lot of times for, for her past records and they've written some incredible songs together. And I just feel like there's just certain there's certain writers in town that you can pull from that you're like, you know what? I really need to lean on this person for this type of song. Hmm. And for me during golden hour and, you know, I understand that they're, they're no longer together and that sort of thing. But I was like, I knew Rustin and I knew her, I was there when she was falling in love. And so I got to write songs with her, like butterflies 
And, um, and then also Velvet Elvis was a song title she brought to Luke Dick and I. But Rainbow, coincidentally enough, we wrote that in 2013. Hmm. And we wrote that for um, pageant material. Or we wrote that during when she was writing for that record. But you know what? It did not go with pageant material at the time. And we did. We wrote it from our, we were all having a really bad day. And, and that's the song we wrote that day because it was kind of gloomy out. And, um, but, uh, you know, we didn't touch it at all. Like she never, you know, she didn't put it on her record. But she played that song for Ian and Daniel, her producers, for Golden Hour. And they're like, how is that song not, we have to put this song on the wow. record. And you know what? It was the perfect song for the record. It was perfect ending for the record. Well, the sky is finally open. The rain and wind stop blowing. But you're stuck out in the same old storm again. You hold tight to your umbrella. Well, darling, I'm just trying to tell you that there's always been I'm I'm just so grateful to this day for them doing that because mm. you know you know putting together a record is like putting together these these puzzle pieces. I mean I, every song I I can't stand people who don't believe in records because really it's just it's a body of work that embodies the artist if you will and every piece really does matter. Yeah. So you know if you don't like a couple songs in the record well that kind of sucks you'll skip over them right. <laughs> But I mean, Golden Hour, I feel like every song on that record, there was something really beautiful and unique about every one. And I'm not at all surprised that it won a Grammy for, not. and I'm not saying that because I have songs in there. Yeah. I am a very objective, I loved Beck's record that won that one year. It was like, that to me, Morning Phase was amazing. And I love every song on that record, but it is important to put out a great body of work, a yeah. great record. Um, it is for performance. I always think about people who write for singles and they put these singles out and they do really well and they just like hit on, they don't have a record. It's like, how would they go out and tour? <laughs> what other songs are you <laughs> right. going to play? You know? <laughs> right. So anyways, I really, I will say Casey is very good about uh, thematically piecing her, her records together. So well, and it's it's interesting that you that you sort of close your answer with that because I was thinking about you know the fact that that rainbows wasn't a part of pageant material and it's all because of concept and it's all because of you know the way it fit and ha having to understand that as a writer you know even one that's had a great deal of success you know we talk about yes and no when it comes to songs being cut um, the part that we don't always talk about is the not yet. Um, yeah, and having that's right. to understand that a song has great value and a song still has a potential and maybe even a, a great future, but that the answer is not yet. Um, not yet. I'd love to hear that's from you right. about how you've kind of learned to process that as a writer. Yeah, well, you know, you have to, it, it is hard to like write a song like Rainbow and be like, uh, and, and in the back of your head be like, man, that's such a great song. Why does that not, why did you not put that on that record? But when you hear the record, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go on that record. It's like, yeah. I don't know. It's like having a pair of Gucci shoes that are like really cool looking, but, but you're wearing jeans and, and a, and a denim jacket and like, or, you know, 
this is my everyday struggle. hiking you know what i mean <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't go with it so <laughs> it's a little too rich it's like having an ingredient that doesn't go with the recipe and i feel like I, but but you never will have the not yet if you don't write them. That's why I get so annoyed. I don't. I'm not one of these people who, who's like, uh, well, we just we need the next hit song. It's like I just I need to just write the song, and mm. then it it will find its place in the world. It was supposed to be written for a reason, and that's how I feel. Yeah. Now I do have a lot of songs out there that don't have homes, but. <laughs> My little orphan songs. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, we were talking earlier about this idea, you know, of the album as a delivery system for as a unified statement versus individual songs. And uh, we were just having this conversation this morning and Chuck Klosterman has a theory that uh, Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy is the last real album because it's the last album that was started with the idea that the CD would be the only way to deliver that. Of course, by the time it came out, there was digital music distribution, but that like that was the last album that was begun with the notion that no one could just pick and choose tracks. They would have to get like the whole, uh, the yes. whole thing, you know, which exactly. is interesting. Well, and you know, there is a little bit of a resurgence in, in, in that because of vinyl, you know, people right. are now buying vinyl like crazy and, you know, you have to sit vinyl is commitment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also, uh, you gotta be in one spot in the room to hear it. You gotta be in one spot in the room. You gotta have that thing. No scratches. You gotta take care of your vinyl. Also, uh, you know, it's sort of like your true fan, your true, uh, like you absolutely, if you love an artist, you're going to buy their vinyl. You know, yeah. it's like, it's a show of true love. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I tried putting a record player in my Subaru, but it kept yeah, skipping exactly. all over yeah. the place. Um. <laughs> it just, yeah. It just doesn't quite work. Um, in the Subaru, but uh, it's a great car. So, <laughs> um, well, obviously we need to talk about the high women, which is, I don't know if you call it a, a band, a collective or whatever, but, uh, it's, it's a, a group of you and, um, Brandy Carlisle and Marin Morris and Amanda Shires. And, yes. um, you know, I, I have to say that I look at how busy the four of you are individually and the idea of you guys coordinating to even play a show, much less uh, record an album. Uh, it, it, it makes me go, how does, how does anyone possibly get all these people together? Uh, but somehow everyone got together and put out a, a really cool record. Um, you're a writer on, on four of the songs uh, on that album. Would love to just hear a little bit about process. Obviously you're a, a dual uh, role here as both artist and writer, but in terms of how this, the overall songs for that project came together and how you guys went about approaching, um, the, the writing and the selection process would be really fascinating to hear about. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I would say I wrote my way into that band. Um, once again, Dave Cobb, he has changed my life immensely. Uh, this was another thing. He's like, Hey, do you want to write for, um, this uh, group I'm, I'm going to be producing that called the high women Marin's in it. And, you know, Marin and I were really close friends. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. Send me, what do you need? And he was like, well, you know, it's a, we, it's kind of like, we, we do need kind of like a dolly nine to five song. And I was like, 
okay <laughs> that's really easy to write <laughs> I was like, all right no problem sure. just write an iconic yeah. classic yeah let me just whip that up in two seconds <laughs> but um he sent me um the new version of the high woman the song and i mean i was like oh my gosh i was so moved by it uh, that brandy and amanda had rewritten um and basically i just was like i i was like i don't know if i can write anything this good hmm. uh but i was so moved by it and then i ended up writing a crowded table with Lori. i brought her over and i was like we can write this song with me for the Howlman. and then um and then i wrote uh redesigning women with ronnie clausen who is as country as can I mean, he's had over like 20 something number ones in country music, but he was such a great person to write the song with because it was so, I don't know, it was just like country detailed and very to the point of, I just, it was a fun song to write. So anyways, I took it into them and they were like, do you want to come sing on this? And I was like, that's weird. You want me to sing on your band's record? Okay. Um, (laughs) I was like, sure. Redesigning women. Running the world while we're cleaning up the kitchen Making bangs, shaking hands, driving eighty, Trying to get home just to feed the baby Skipping the bread for the butter Changing our minds like we change our hair color Yeah, ever since the beginning We've been redesigning Amanda and Brandy, when we got done, they were like, do you want to be in our band? And I didn't say yes in the beginning because I I knew like, I'm not stupid. I'm like, bands are, what does that mean? That, that's a time commitment. Like, hmm. yeah. like I didn't know. And then Brandy goes, well, you know, we're going to sing with Dolly Parton at Newport Folk Festival. And I literally, I was like, okay, well, I'm totally in then. <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, I was very excited. But, you know, I, it was a miracle that we all were, we all got together because we are four completely different women and we are so busy. And but the times that we did, it was just like some of the most memorable times. The Newport Folk, Folk Festival was just absolutely outstanding. I will never forget it. Um, I was nervous as could be. I'm the oldest one in the group. You know, I have performed a ton and I've, but I've done singer songwriter rounds. I didn't perform with a band out in front of a bunch of people who are actually excited to see us. Like hmm. I, I'm used to having to win over a crowd. <laughs> right. So it was totally different, you know? And I mean, we, we got to do that. And then we played with Dolly and you have to imagine like Dolly was the big kept secret for Newport. So we had to pretend like, like we were just playing, uh, you know, with Brandy was hosting this big women's, uh, you know, it was like 30 different women artists. And so we came out there to sing and in our ears, we hear the Eagle has landed, which means Dolly is here. (laughs) And so she, Brandy announces her to the crowd and I'm staring at this crowd overlooking the bay with all these sailboats. And it was just like, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. They're all our faces look like, they just saw Santa Claus for the first time. They were <laughs> screaming. They were so excited. And I, I don't know. Dolly's just magic. She just like, 
she's so tiny and she smells good and she's so charming and funny and sweet. It was just like a real amazing moment. That Who I'll smells never... better, Dolly Parton or Bradley Cooper? <laughs> Definitely Dolly Parton. <laughs> she, Dolly Parton's like angel dust, you know, like very, it's like, I don't know. It's, it has, she has this weird like powdery type of perfume smell to her and it smells so good. <laughs> But, we, um, we've heard about the Dolly effect on this podcast. This is not the first time. Linda Perry was was pretty. Uh, she was pretty smitten by the Dolly effect as well. Oh, yeah. listen, Linda. We worked with Linda. She's the one who got all of our songs in shape, and Linda's amazing. I love Linda. Uh, well, I just got to tell one little funny story, but um, it was, uh, I was. I think it was Linda, Marin, and Amanda, and also Dolly. And they were all sitting around talking about how they're all little, you know, but they're all like big personalities. Like, and so it was so funny. I think Amanda was like, oh, what about that Randy New Newman song, um, Short People? And and Dolly goes, I fucking hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> you you were talking earlier. I'm going to preface this by saying I hate questions like, what's it like to be a woman in music? Because that's a dumb question. Um, <laughs> You've never been anything else. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I don't know why women songwriters and women artists get asked to speak for all other women songwriters or women artists when men don't get asked the same thing. But with that disclaimer. With that said, I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> walk right into it. Um, but, you know, you were talking earlier about kind of the Lilith Fair era and, you know, Tracy Chapman, Joan Osborne, Indigo Girls, Paula Cole, like that era is very much the era that we all came from. And I kind of view like the early to mid nineties as the golden era for women in rock, you know, Sheryl Crow. I mean, we could go yes. on and on. But there was almost like a golden era for women in rock that then, you know, Limp Biscuit destroyed and, and it never really quite recovered. Um, right. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> no, that we've still I don't think that we've really uh, gotten back to to what what we had then. You know, we sort of think of culture as like progressing. I think we haven't gotten back to where we were in the 90s with with female artists. But I almost feel like in Roots music right now, um, it is the we're 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 hitting the kind of equivalent of the nineties female rock artist boom in the Americana and roots music world. Now. Uh, I wonder if you kind of sense that. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's such an eclectic group of women right now in, in, in this uh, genre. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like, um, I don't know. I feel like it's so eclectic because I feel in some ways it doesn't like, okay we're not pop okay we're not rock and roll we're not quite country we're not this it's like so there's a sub genre the subculture of americana roots music it just embodies all the rock and roll all the roots music uh uh somewhat bluegrass styles it's it's been it's yeah it's interesting i would say i that's one of the reasons why i love that genre so much is it's probably the most eclectic of the groups of the groupings you know um yeah. i like you know it is interesting like even take yola like um her record is so 
I don't, it, it, to me, I love her record so much. It's such a timeless uh, classic. But I, I did see in Grammys, you know, for voting, it was like, there's a uh, stand, um, stand for myself uh, at the song is, is kind of considered rock, which I kind of dug. I was like, yes, yeah, rock and roll. Let's put it in the rock category. But I yeah. just, uh, no, that's where, yeah, I would say all those people I named from the 90s, if you were, if you had them today, you would put them in Americana. That's where mm. it would go, you know, right. which I, I used to call it roots rock back in the day, you know, but it's just, uh, you're right. We have not recovered from it. And, um, we're slowly trying to get back there. We've had moments, you know, uh, but it just, I don't know. Yeah. I never it, quite. <laughs> no, it's funny got- that Lim Biscuit just kind of showed up and threw a handful of uncooked hot dogs at the whole thing. <laughs> And, and knocked music over and then just didn't stand themselves right. for, for much longer after that either. Yeah, we're just here to destroy everything else. We'll move yeah, on. And, and then, then we'll just dis- disintegrate as well. But... Totally. We're going to change music and then we're going to leave. So um... <laughs> We're going to change it for the worse. Bye. Exactly. Um, well, you, you talked about uh, Crowded Table, one of the High Women songs, and um, that was a song that um, earned you a Grammy nomination for Best Country Song the same year that you also had a, another Grammy nomination for Best Country Song with uh, Bluebird by Miranda Lambert, which um, you guys wrote with Luke Dick. And if the house just keeps on yourself uh in in the category crowded <laughs> table wound up uh winning out to to bluebird but bluebird is such um uh a great song it was also nominated for cma song of the year uh would love to hear a bit about how that one was uh, put together yeah you know uh bluebird i love that song so so much and um it was uh it was it, it once again it came out in a perfect time of like you know everything was I don't know the radio, everything on the radio it was obviously a lot of country dudes, but like whenever I hear Bluebird come on the radio, it just like had a beautiful presence. You know, it just kind of was like, ah, I, I just loved the production of it. I thought Jay did such a great job, but that idea was started with Luke and he basically had, he had a lot of the chorus um, and Miranda took the lines and she changed the lemons, uh, love keeps giving me lemons i'll just mix them in my drink which i love that line and honestly i did i would say i would was probably the least of these um but the but the part i kept singing after when we were writing the song i kept going Ooh, i just kept doing that and and it so that ended up being part of it and now i can't think of to me a bluebird sings when it sings, it goes. Nice. <laughs> 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 so I, but I do love the. Uh, I just I loved the idea of it just being a hopeful song because it was really ro- during a really rotten time. So mm. um, it was nice that it, it got a lot of attention, and and, and it, I I would have never guessed that the label 
would have gotten behind that song as a single, but they did. And, and it went number one and it was just like, I don't know. That's what I'm talking about. Like you, you gotta write the song. You gotta write moving songs sometimes, yeah. you know? Mm. Yeah. Not like just your dumb hits that like are no braiders. Those are fun too. Those are, there's a time and place for everything, but you've got to be intentional and, and be, um, I don't know, open your mind a little bit, be more creative about what you want to write about, in my opinion. So, you know, whenever I hear you talk about your collaborators, the artists and co-writers that you work with, it definitely sounds like you're you're talking about friends. You're talking about relationship and community. And, and, you know, the songs kind of are birthed from hangs and from, you know, building relationship and getting to know each other. And it's been said maybe too many times about what a cutthroat industry, the entertainment industry is. Um, but I think that sometimes the truth actually lies a little bit more in that there's success in community and there's success in helping each other rise together. Um, certainly there are plenty Man, of opportunities yeah, to absolutely. be competitive, but it seems different in, in your case, at least. Yes. No, I preach. I love that. There is success in community. And um, when you have, gosh, I just feel like I'm so lucky to be living during this time with these writers because I just, I really do think they're some of the most incredible writers. I, it ain't the Grammy awards that I love. It's going out to Miranda Lambert's farm and writing with her and Luke Dick all weekend and this laughing and having drinks and and getting so stoked about some song that we love so much and singing it over and over again. Like that is the joy. Yeah. It's Mm. not, it ain't the, uh, it's not the charts. It's not any of that stuff. That is what I love the most, you know? And I, I think if you love music, that is what you love about it too. Mm. You know, um, people who like to perform, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, one of my very dear friends, uh, who's, who has one of the best voices on the planet is Emily West. She lives here in Nashville. But I promise you, you could put three people in front of Emily West and she would perform the same way as if she were in front of 500 people. Mm-hmm. It's like she loves singing and performing. And that is how I feel about writing. I yeah. love to write. Mm-hmm. I, To me, there, I was like, if I haven't written a song that I'm really exci- excited about in a while, I get kind of depressed. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you've had some recent pop cuts, uh, including uh, Kelly Clarkson's I Dare You, um, Love in Slow Motion with Ed Sheeran. And, you know, we're really seeing kind of this branching out from the the Nashville, you know, country market. Obviously, that's still very much a part of the equation. Um, But clearly with the Lady Gaga and the Casey stuff and, you know, we're seeing genre pushing, I guess you could say. Um, But one of the things, you know, for people who've been around Nashville for a long time, it used to be that virtually every song was written by two people. And at some point it kind of became the norm that um, every song is written by three people. And I noticed, for instance, on on your record, pretty much every song is either a two person ride or a three person ride. It's kind of split. Um, But almost everything that you've written, whether it be country or pop that has been recorded by other artists are generally three way rights or or more, which is very much become the norm and is a very different um, 
uh, kind of model than I think what we would have seen 15 years ago, for example. Uh, and I'm curious what your thoughts are in general on kind of the changing landscape of, of co-writing where it used to be more of this intense two people in a room thing. And now it has become more of a uh, collaborative uh, endeavor than, than maybe it once was. It has to sort of change the, um, the, the process in a way. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I do, I still love just me and one other person in a room. It just depends on who the person is, but I'll tell you what three ways are great at. Um, it's three ways are awesome because sometimes, um, when you're just in a room with just one other person, you do, you have to sit there for a while and like really chisel away at something, which I enjoy doing. But if you're with someone who doesn't enjoy doing that, it can be a real labor on your shoulders. <laughs> so a third person is always awesome because, I mean, honestly, I think three is kind of a Trinity set up here. You got Jesus, you know, the Holy Ghost and God, the <laughs> father, but I do feel like not to overstate way, it. <laughs> no. Which one are you? In that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do feel like, uh, you know, where if you're struggling, usually a third person comes in and saves the day, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, On if, right. It could be melodies. It could be and then sometimes all three of you will struggle. Fours are where I have like. That's where I'm sort of like, okay, we got too many cooks in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. And, and that is not my favorite thing to do. I don't think, you know, and, and then you can't help but kind of feel like, well, how much did you contribute? <laughs> you know, right, and then right. it starts going there. But when it's just three people that you love to write with, or like the three of you in a room, it, it kind of balances each other out in a weird way. So. Right. Yeah, and, and sometimes you find when you write with people regularly that that you can be very easy with the fact that someone is having a great day that day and be like, hey, th- yes. you're running with it today. And nobody feels like they have to really f- jockey for a position because tomorrow it might be your day. Yeah, that's exactly right. And honestly, some days you are on fire and some days you're not. I right. mean, I've had, you know, writing brings out all your insecurities and all your confidences. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're having an off day, you do, you have to lean on your co-writers. It's just, that's the way it is. Yeah. But yeah. you know what, if you're having an on day, your co-writers can lean on you. So it all balances out in, in the end, usually. So in terms of process, are you somebody who writes in a very disciplined way? Like, do you set aside a certain amount of time every day, no matter what, or do you kind of book appointments to discipline yourself to write or do you kind of wait till inspiration strikes what's kind of your your just typical routine um i usually um i either write like okay i write a lot and then i don't write for a a while and um that work really works for me i have to like i have to gather uh i'm like a squirrel for the winter like i have to gather up ideas and gather up melodies and you know what? Uh, you know, Amy Grant told me a piece of advice years ago and I was like 19 and like, what piece of advice do you have about the music business? And I'm thinking she's going to be like, you know, girl, you need to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. And she says to me, she goes, you need to always appreciate other people's music. And at the time, all that's all I did. Cause I was 19 and I just listened to other people's music all the time. But 
she, I, now that I, when I think about this, like you have got to make time to listen to other people's music and to be inspired and, and learn from other people and, and do other things, you know, or, or right. tap back into some old music, you know? Right. But I, you got to fill your well back up. And that's what I do. I, I am like, I feel like what I, I would just like binge eat <laughs> and then right. I'll, and then I don't eat at all. <laughs> so <laughs> and then I like fast for like several months. No, but I, that's what you do. You fill your well back up and then you go back out and you just start, you know, I had just filled my well back up before I started to write with Alicia for her record. And I'm so happy that happened because I had mm. lots of ideas that I brought and, you know, it worked out really well. So you got to have that. T- you have to have some downtime. The one time Shane McAnally, I, he would just had everything going on in the world. And um, I said, buddy, you need to take a vacation. You need to take some time off. You're going to burn out. And he was like, well, I would take a vacation if everybody else would, <laughs> Wow! <laughs> but that's really, that's it. You gotta, you can't, you just gotta stop yeah. and for a while, you know, and then get back into it. When it's interesting, you talk about that relationship with music because everyone that got into music got into it because they loved it at the beginning. And then you create this kind of unholy relationship with music where it's like this beast of burden that, that you've, you've placed all these expectations on it that it's supposed to pay your rent. It's supposed to carve out your identity and it's supposed to, you know, music is supposed to do all these things. And it's, it's almost like that's not what the relationship was really started off as. And no. the, the way you were describing that, I've always sort of looked at it as like the way we look at date night with our spouses. <laughs> How yeah. You occasionally have to have date night with music again and say, I'm going to listen yeah. to something that doesn't quote unquote benefit me as a writer or artist right now. This is not going to be market I love research. That. You know? Date night with music. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, honestly, I like it's been a minute since I've perused uh, any iTunes uh, new records or anything on Spotify. You know, it's like you've got to do that stuff. Yeah. You got to go search out some things and um, to keep it fresh and alive. And, you know, a lot of times I'll go for a walk and I'll listen to music and, and just really dive into some stuff, you know. Um, but and also alone time. Alone time is big. You got to yeah. have some alone time. There's right. no way you can be creative and not be alone. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the worst co-writing session you've ever had? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I'll just say it. And I shouldn't say it because I love him dearly, but I would say the hardest co-writing session I've ever had was with Keith Urban. (laughs) (laughs) And because like Keith is so talented and, you know, sometimes you can go with an artist and really connect with them and maybe on a personal level and just like, but when you write with them, it's like, it was just like, honestly, it was, it was like pulling teeth a little bit, but you know what? We ended up getting a song and it ended up being on his record. So, you know, what are you going to do? I guess you'll, you'll take it. But I think some of the funniest writing sessions I've had have been with like young people, like <laughs> as you get older, titles pop back up. And I just swear to God, like, like one time this person I knew that just, they were like, um, I want to write this song called Blackbird. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I was, and I don't want to be rude. And so I'll be like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, 
if you haven't, it's totally fine. But like, have you heard of the Beatles? <laughs> you know? And like, <laughs> I'm trying to be really nice about it, but I just swear to God, someone's going to be like, I want to write a song called Purple Rain. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> there's just some like titles you can't touch, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I just won't touch them. I can't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Stairway to heaven. I mean, yeah, there's a, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the, the, the sort of like kindness of the question you asked, like, have you heard of the Beatles? <laughs> there's a generation defining song out there called Blackbird that I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but maybe we could listen to it for just a minute. I had the experience once back when I was writing, which I'm not anymore, but uh, when I was writing, I was in a co-writing session with uh, a writer who was definitely much more successful than than I, which is a low bar. And uh, <laughs> and I threw, I threw out a title concept to him and he's like, you know, I had a, a top 10 oh, hit by nice. that title. Right. Nice. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> which has really put you in a weird spot, because then you have to be like, no, I'm actually completely unaware of one of your successful songs, uh, which is awkward. You to play admit. it off as a joke. No, no, you should have said, yeah, no, I know. And it sucks. So I <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm gonna give you another crack at it. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe you'd want to do over. We won't ask you about your worst interview experience. We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, we'll, let, well let the day round out without that. Definitely not this ever. <laughs> um, the, the lead single um, from your recent record, Pins and Needles, is called Heroes. You, you touched on it a little while ago. It's totally nails that Cheryl Crow 90s vibe, takes me right back to like those kind of feelings. Like you said, yes. like you didn't want to like, you wanted to channel that without copying it. And I think you really yes. succeeded. What if Superman, he could have lied and Spider-Man, he couldn't climb. What if they're just like you and I? I listen to those lyrics. Uh, I don't want to meet my heroes. I just want to be a face in the crowd. If I ever met my heroes, they might let me down. Um, I, I remember like my dad was a big Bob Seger fan. And one time I remember being like, dad, how stoked would you be to meet Bob Seger? And he's like, I don't want to meet Bob Seger uh, because I don't yeah. want him to turn out to be something that, that I don't want him to be, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I listened to a song like that and I'm curious for you, is, is this something that is, born out of personal experience of you interacting with somebody that kind of didn't live up to what you wish? Or is this you uh, giving a cautionary tale for what you don't want to be as you're, you know, more publicly recognized? Well, you know, I definitely, uh, you know, my, my saying, and I've said this to Marin, she's passed it along as well, but like I've, I always say, don't be an asshole on the way up and don't be one on the way down. You know, as a kid growing up in the music business, I absolutely met some people like who I thought were so incredible. And then I met them and they were all, they were, they were, they were awful. Like they, they were not kind at all. And they, um, and I wasn't even bugging them. It was just, they're rude. And, you know, I, not everybody's like that, but 
I did have somebody in mind with the song who I literally, this person, I have their entire uh, record collection. And literally, I just, I, people would be like, do you ever want to write with this person? And I'm like, nope. Because uh. <laughs> I've heard that this person is not very nice, which is very disappointing, you know? Mm. And not that, you know, heroes don't have to wear capes. You can just be a nice person and, you know, and show some, uh, respect for people and look i i it's not easy being uh i'm around people who are very famous and it is not being easy being famous there's some really rude people in the world but i'm just talking about like i mean i have literally watched people go out on stage and be one person on stage and then a completely different person when they get off Hmm. and i don't know if that really you can't get away with that as easily these days because everybody has cameras and everybody has social media and they will cancel your ass in two seconds. But, uh, back in the day, back in the nineties, and I probably would say it's probably like that in the fifties, sixties, seventies, you know, there was probably a lot of people who would be one person on stage and it completely, I mean, you hear all those rumors about being Crosby, Yeah, you know, beating his kid up but on on screen and camera you just like you adore them man you know (laughs) so i don't know i so this this song that song is really that is my song i wrote that about me and i you know i just don't ever want to be that person but i i love that your dad said that though because (laughs) it's kind of true uh like i love bono but i don't ever want to meet him you know i don't know what he I, I hope he's nice. Everyone says he is, but I, right. you know what I'm saying? I just yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> there's some people like you don't want their personality to ruin their art, you know? Right. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's pretty obvious. The song's about James Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It is. It totally is. Yeah, uh, he seems like a brute. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Um, it's about James Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> well, Natalie, congrats on all the amazing things that have happened to you and that you have made happen in the last uh, few years since we spoke to you. It's great to catch up with you again. So thanks for coming back to Songcraft and uh, updating us on what's been going on. It's been really fun to chat with you again. Thank you, buddy. I so appreciate you and um, I appreciate you doing this podcast. It's, it's so awesome um, for us songwriters, especially. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. And of course, nothing beats a personal recommendation. Perhaps take a moment right now to text or email one friend who you think would appreciate what we do and send them a link to our show, letting them know how much you enjoy it. As a reminder, you can sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. 